0: He was one of the leaders of the early church. And about this prayer, he wrote, And the Lord's Prayer is comprised an epitome of the whole gospel. I love that. I've also read another scholar who argued, and I agree with him, that to pray this prayer is to pray all prayers. I love this prayer. It's the first real prayer we taught our own children, and it remains a central part of my own prayer life. And I think this prayer is especially a wonderful gift from God for us because it informs and can inspire our own prayers. Scott McKnight writes, The Lord Oh, sorry, that would be the Lord's Prayer probably behind me right now, right? Yeah. Yep, excellent. And there's Scott McKnight. Right. The Lord's Prayer is a gift to guide our prayers. And when we use the Lord's Prayer to nurture our prayers, we rub the oil of the Jesus Creed into the chambers of our hearts. I really like that. Scott McKnight calls the greatest commandment, love God, love others, the Jesus Creed. He calls that the Jesus Creed. And here in the Lord's Prayer is the ambition or the aspiration of the greatest commandment. The what the greatest commandment is trying to get at. May your kingdom come. Might God's kingdom come. Might His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I've been thinking a lot about this lately as we turn from one year to the next. God's kingdom coming. Especially in light of how man's kingdoms just continually insist on oppressing and being full of hatred and violence and and a distinct lack of love for others. So I've been thinking about God's kingdom coming and find myself wanting more and more of God's kingdom and life of life our kingdoms. And the answers that our kingdoms come up with for what ills us. And so my prayer this year, and I hope we can all make it, our prayer is that each of us at Canaan as individuals and as a community, we will live more fully and practically in God's kingdom. We'll live more fully and practically in God's kingdom. So the question is what, what would that look like? Well, I, I think it would look like everyone living out the Jesus Creed, living out that love of God and love for others. We know that God is love, right? And so the kingdom of God is governed by perfect love. Can you imagine if everyone loved perfectly? Just try to think of this. And here's the thing. Um, I, I just let me break this down a little bit here. I don't often use Christian speak here at Canaan from the pulpit. For over seven years I haven't done that. And one of the reasons I don't do that is pretty pretty simple. The majority of us here, I, I think, at Cana aren't, aren't really into Christian speak anymore. That's one of the reasons we come to Cana. Second, I do it for a much more important reason, is when we have visitors or guests or people that have not been brought up in the church, Christian speak is a foreign language, and I'm not sure how effective it really is. And our job is to draw all people into the kingdom of God, I think. This is one of the reasons the religious leaders crucified Jesus Christ, is because he didn't speak like them. He used decidedly non-religious language. He told parables and stories, and they hated him for it. They wanted him to speak more like them. And he said, no. So I do that. But just, just, I want to be clear about this. So I talk a lot about the greatest commandment, loving God and loving others. And I do that very specifically, because... Jesus said the grace commandment fulfills the whole law. So when Christians speak, living up the grace commandment means living lives that are not full of sin. That's what it means to follow the grace commandment. Because when you're loving God and loving others, you can't sin. Do you see what I mean? You can't sin against God if you love him. You can't sin against others if you love them. That's why Jesus took the focus off of what the Pharisees focused on, which was little sins, and he put the focus on the biggest sin. Loving. Because when you're really loving, even those little sins have to go away. So why would you focus on the little sins when if you focus on the big sin, you take care of everything else? But if you focus on the little sins, that big sin can be there for the rest of your life. That's what... Pharisees. That's what Jesus' point was with the Pharisees. Not his point to them wasn't to stop following all these laws that they had. That wasn't his point. His point was, yes, you're following the laws on a surface level, but it hasn't changed your heart at all. So, so, so that's I just wanted to do that for a quick second. Some new things I'm going to be trying out this year. So that's what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about loving God perfectly. And Christians speak living sinless lives. Okay, so can you imagine if everyone loved perfectly? Can you imagine? Think about it. In one of the books I'm reading, the author posits the following ideas about just what God's kingdom might mean for us on earth. Now these are corporate ideas. But as we read through them, you'll get the idea, well, if this would be what it was like across the globe, imagine what it would just be like in our own little families. One, he says, we wouldn't need governments because if love governed, why would man need to? Oh, can you imagine what that would be like? No governments? No more campaign years. <laughs> <Woo-hoo>! <laughs> we wouldn't need borders and dividing lines. We wouldn't need walls. We wouldn't need to separate ourselves because we would be at peace. Oh god's kingdom we wouldn't need the military we would no longer wage war or have enemies then think about how much money we have to really do good in this world we wouldn't need police we would all be protecting and serving one another or maybe a better way to put that in in respect for the people that do put their lives on the lines maybe we'd all be We wouldn't need money, because everyone would give to whoever wasn't needed. God's kingdom. Imagine if everyone could live into God's kingdom. Now, I know this sounds unrealistic. I know it sounds like a pipe dream. I know it is idealism to the nth degree. But let's just think about it for a second. Just think about this. Because I think that's part of the problem. When Christians who pray for the kingdom of God still think it's a pipe dream, then it's always going to stay a pipe tree. So, perfect love exists in the kingdom of God, and Jesus said this about the kingdom of God, which is a very interesting thing He said. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. It's within us. So, if more and more of us allow the kingdom within us to have control, and one of the things that I have always loved about what God has done at Cana since Dave took over the ministry about a year or so into Cana, is did you? If you were here this morning for when the worship set started, did you hear what David talked about? In control and giving up control, and then we sang that song, giving up control, and he gave my sermon. And that happens so much over the years. And Dave posted when did you post your songs? Three o'clock yesterday. Yeah. So I didn't even know what he was going to do. But with the songs, I don't talk to Dave about what I'm going to be teaching on. And with the holidays and everything, he could not have possibly known where I was starting today. Control. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. The kingdom is within us, and it wants control. When we don't live into it, it's because we don't give it control. We keep control. It's there. It wants control. That's what the kingdom of God in us wants, control. So we give up control. We surrender our own wills to the will of God. We let grace lead us to a life of love. And if we do those things, will not the kingdom start coming? Of course it will, because it's here in us. In us. I think this is what Paul meant when he wrote to the Corinthians in his second letter. He said, love compels us, for Christ's love compels us. Perhaps we should let it. You know, uh, again, to use Christian speak, that you know that that little still voice of God, the conscience, when we're doing something wrong, maybe we should listen to it more. Especially when it comes to not loving others. Maybe we should listen to that voice that's telling us just do this for the people. Be kind. That little voice that saying, don't write that, don't write that on that comment, don't hit. The post button on Facebook with hateful language. Maybe we should listen to those voices more. And then Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians, and we studied this, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, the imitation of Christ. We want to go around imitating Christ and others imitate Christ we reproduce ourselves and, and if we're living out the greatest commandment, if we're loving God and we're loving others, then we'll be living like Christ. Thanks will be little Christ, if you will. And we'll be reproducing little Christ. And slowly but surely the kingdom will come and change the world. It will. It's in us. Now I know it sounds impossible. And when we're honest with ourselves, we know we have our own messes that are quite the opposite of the kingdom of God. The opposite of Christ-like living. And when we look at the world around us, it's a mess. I. CNN was saying this morning there's some <laughs> civil war going on in Oregon right now. For those who didn't see it, some some group of some group of whatever that far thing is have taken over a government building. Oregon. very interesting what a mess our world is in. But here's the thing. Here's what Paul said, and this is key. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. And Jesus, when he was here, said, With God all things are possible. All things are possible. So if the impossible, living kingdom living, is possible, where does that leave us? Where does it leave? What does it mean for us? What does that mean? Well, every week at Cana we explore grace. We explore forgiveness. We explore God's love. Because it gets us thinking about it. Thinking about it is the beginning of making it a reality in our lives. See, I'm pretty sure this is what Jesus meant when he said, where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be. Think about that. Where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be. If our treasure is God and His love, if all we do is think about God and His love, it is where we will want to be. And where we want to be will eventually be the place we move into. See, think about this. If we never think about loving God and loving others, how do do we expect that to ever be a reality? This is what I talk to Tito about all the time. I know Tito hasn't been here lately because he's got a new job and et cetera, et cetera, but he and I talk all the time. And if he was here, he wouldn't mind me saying this. I've, I've said it probably a lot of time in front of him, but you know, he, he struggles so much with this idea of loving enemies. And what we talk about is, well, if we never think about loving them, how are we ever going to love them? Of course we can't love them. If all we do is spend our time thinking about how much we hate our enemies, and how different they are, and how dangerous they are, and if all we do is spend our time writing political stuff online because we're so filled with, with us, them, and hatred, well, how is that ever going to change? That's all we're thinking about. The best part of thinking and imagining you see in, in little children. I, I know little Henry at times has been a character in Star Wars, right? Because <laughs> that's all I would think about. And I remember when Noah was little, we were laughing about this, what I think yesterday, Isabel, or the day before. He would put, after the Patriots won the championship, they used to put out a DVD of the whole year. Noah would put on his Tom Brady helmet, his Tom Brady shirt, and he would literally just put the DVD in, and for hours. And he'd run around in the living room, throwing the ball. He was Tom Brady. It was unbelievable. He would do that for hours as a little boy, four or five years old. He'd think about it, think about it, think about it. What do you think about all this? What do you think about all day? What takes up your world of imagination? Being the best comment on the Facebook post About why those people should die? That's never going to turn into love. What do we think about all day? If we never listen to stories of profound forgiveness and grace, if we never let it fill our thoughts and dreams, how will we ever practice? Wanting to be like Christ is not a constant, conscious passion. How do we expect it to become a reality? Because when we most need to be like Christ, if we haven't been thinking about it, trust me, those are not the times we're going to be like Christ. (laughs) Ask my family. I need to go into game playing thinking about being like Christ. (laughs) Because inevitably when I start losing, the last person I'm like, is, and I know these sound surface, but think about it deeply. It's not magic. Where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. And so this has caused me to think about one of the biggest reasons we come to church. We come for community. It's a great reason to be at church. We come to worship God. Great reason. We come for ministry, service, support following God, he says to, you know, do not forsake gathering gather yourselves together. I think all those are great reasons, but I think the biggest reason we come to church is because of the impossible. We come to church because of resurrection, which is the impossible. See, loving God and loving others perfectly is humanly impossible. I'm fine with that. It's what grace does in us. It's God in us. Loving God and loving others perfectly requires surrender to the mind of Christ in us. It requires allowing God to do the impossible through us. So why do we come here? Well, we come here together to hear the stories of the impossible. To hear the stories of the Bible, the stories from real life, the stories of each other, the stories of real love and real grace. And while we're at church, We take his body and his blood. We thank him for making all things possible. We receive him to help us do the impossible. Then we go out and through the week we remember the stories. And we try to live into the kingdom. And on Monday and Tuesday... It usually goes pretty good, but by the end of the week, we've been so beaten up by the hatred in the world, in our workplace, the challenges, by our own failures to love each other, and at the end of the week, we feel crucified, so to speak, how, how, how can we keep going on? So we come back here again to be resurrected with new stories. To be inspired again with new passion. With new resolve. To be filled again at His table so we can go back out into the world and love again. The impossible. Resurrection. Communion. God. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons we should come to church. I know it's the biggest reason I come to church. To be resurrected again. I know, because it's my job, I'm supposed to be here, but that doesn't mean every week I want to be here. Doesn't mean every week I have faith. Doesn't mean every week I'm discouraged. I'm sorry if that's disappointing, I'm just being human, it's just true. There are times I I have to call some people, because I've been in the one-ass, wondering if there's another job, I'm so discouraged. Then I come here on Sundays? he stands up and he gives my sermon before I do and I'm like, yes God, thank you. You are alive and you are working. I take bread and I remember God died for me and I am inspired. He rose again and and so this isn't the end. And so when I'm really sad or really afraid I'm inspired by the impossible. That's what I think church is supposed to be. And I think it's an important part of how ushering in the kingdom of God is possible. So we start by thinking about it. We start by imagining it. For if we can't imagine it, how can we live it? Honestly. Imagine if there wasn't one Mother Teresa, but a hundred thousand of them around the world loving others with her commitment and sacrifice. Imagine that. What if there were a hundred thousand Martin Luther King Juniors peacefully and sacrificially working for freedom and equality around the world, not just one? What if there were a hundred thousand Pope Francis's who were living out an active crusade to love the unloved? What if there were seven billion little Christs walking around us? What would it be like? think about it, imagine it. Then we need to act. But please be careful here. Action is not an invitation to return to the safety of our moderate theology. The safety of thinking Christianity is only knowing the correct things, passing the doctrine test, following rules, and making sure we have the get out of hell free card because we prayed the sinner's prayer. No. That is not what action is. That's the law. Action is not the law. Paul is clear in Romans. The law can't save us. Jesus is clear. because by the way he lived and talked and died and rose again. Action begins with grace. For grace is what transforms us. Only grace. That's what David was saying. That's why New Year's resolutions. That's the Christianity he used to be in. Oh, I'll do it. No, Grace. Surrender to something much more beautiful, to God in you know. Action is believing that when Jesus said, "Follow me," He really meant it. It's so the one billboard I think I've seen that I really liked. It was along those same lines. It said, uh, "It said that love others thing. I meant it. Signed, God." Action is believing when Jesus said, follow me, he really meant it. And when he told us to pray for the kingdom, it was really an invitation to join him in the work of ushering it in. And that work begins, as Jesus himself worked, with prayer. See, prayer for the kingdom is the place where our own thoughts are challenged by His thoughts. Where our own creeds are challenged by His creed. Where our own selfish desires are turned outward towards others. Prayer is the place where our love of self is transformed to love of God. Our hatred of enemies is washed away and replaced with love of enemies. Prayer is where our law becomes His grace. Prayer is the birthplace of spiritual transformation. Sadly, though, too often, prayer becomes a pursuit of personal surface piety at the expense of others' real needs. And seeking God's blessings on our own selfish desires, many that are decidedly opposed to the mind of Christ. And this, quite sadly, is why I think so many postmoderns have left prayer behind. I know so many postmodern Christians who don't pray and don't believe in prayer. And I think it's because of that. The passionate and thinking believers of today, many of them the young people who are leaving church, are rightly suspicious that so much of what we call prayer lacks authenticity in any connection to God's name. And so they've given up the baby with the bathwater. I can't blame you. Sometimes hard to discern it. Sadly, I'll pray for you, as too often been Christians speak for, I don't want to get involved. And those people looking for a real connection with God have become cynical. And sadly, the one place where spiritual transformation can really start in prayer, they've let it go. But here's the thing for those of us who have stopped praying. That empty kind of praying that we're suspicious of and that has made us cynical, that is not the kind of prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray. Frank Blabach said it best about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is the prayer most used and least understood. People think they are asking God for something. The Lord's Prayer is not a prayer to God to do something we want done. It is more nearly God's prayer to us to help Him do what He wants done. He wanted that entire prayer answered before we prayed it. The Lord's Prayer is not intercession, it is enlistment. It's hard to be cynical about that. Yes, we need to enlist in the work of ushering in the kingdom. So let's start praying together. Please. Please. So still our minds argue, but David, we can't change the world. Yes, we can. We can. I said I said it too many times, but I'm sorry, but I have to say it again. The New York Post was wrong. God is fixing this. It's just that we were supposed to be God's hands and feet are a little slow getting to work. It's like that old joke, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you change the world? One little Christ at a time. And keep believing. Mother Teresa was asked how she stays motivated amidst such massive need. And I've been in Calcutta. It is massive. Mother Teresa's answer. I never look at the masses as my responsibility. I look at the individual. I can love only one person at a time. I can feed only one person at a time. As we live out love one person at a time, we usher in the kingdom of God. That one person in your life that you hate right now, I know this is going to sound horrible but you're preventing the kingdom from coming. No matter what they've done to you, hate is not the kingdom. Find love for that one person. Usher in the kingdom. As we allow God to clean us up, one selfish desire at a time, as we allow God to take over one selfish thought at a time, as we allow God to fill us with love for him one moment at a time, we will become more and more like Christ. Mike Rio used to be the pastor at Southern Christian Church in Lexington, Kentucky. He's now the pastor of one of the big churches, I think, up in Illinois. But anyway, he read this. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. So Mike Brio read this, and he was interested in ushering in the kingdom of God. And So instead of dismissing this as so much nice theology, he actually embraced it as one practical way of ushering in the kingdom, among the millions of practical ways we can do this. So here's what he did. He considered the local high school proms, and he realized that for an entire population within the school system, the proms were a nightmare. See, proms are designed for the able-bodied and able-minded kids. Disabled kids were not really part of the prom process. They were the uninvited, if you will. So his church started a prom for all the kids who were not able-bodied or able-minded. His church went to, the, to the, the lengths of providing the tuxes, the dresses, the limos, a banquet, and a dance. Some 500 kids showed up and felt at home and experienced for the first time the profound joy of their own prom, their own night of magical memories. I know that's a small thing, but isn't it, They ushered in the kingdom in a real way. My friend Mike Booger read Matthew 25 as a young man, as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto Jesus. And he didn't take that as nice theology, and he opened up the mustard seed house in Worcester, Massachusetts. It's been there for however long in one of the worst neighborhoods in Worcester, feeding people every day. That's ushering in the kingdom. Canaan Community Church. One of the things we talk about a lot is, is is loving our enemies or loving the unloved or, the Bible is very clear, take care of the strangers and aliens among you and so we've engaged in taking care with our resources and our time. A family from Africa that are refugees and fleeing a horrible situation. That's ushering into king. I know I've gone long this morning, I'm sorry, but I just wanted to start 2016 with, with this note, this idea control. Let's let God it and see how it changes our lives. Let's start imagining Are our asking ourselves what can we do to usher in the kingdom? What can we do as individuals in our own families and with our own friends and in our own workplaces but more what can we do as a community in our neighborhood our country, our world, then let's follow Christ in doing just that. But that is exactly what Jesus meant when He said, Pray this way. Pray for what God wants. Pray for what others need. And when we are done praying, live out to Jesus Christ. May God help us all.